I, I love uh, I love Pastor Marco for so many reasons. He is. I mean, we we um, we glean from one another, and um, I learn a lot from him. And as you saw too, I, I love. He's a hand talker, and I'm a hand talker. My hands are all over the place, and so I respect that about him. Um, man, I'm really glad to to be here again. My second favorite pray, place to preach. Um, I love seeing familiar faces. I, there's some new faces. I see Santa off to my left and, and uh, uh, man, brings back some great memories. But I'm, I'm excited to kind of wrap up the, the book of Ruth with you this morning. Um, fantastic story. And I, I don't know about you, uh, I, I, when I think back of all the stories of Jesus healing, uh, in, in the, specifically when I was being raised in children's church, the ones that seem to stick out to me the most are when Jesus gives sight. I mean, I love all of the healing stories, but there's something about, you know, I was blind and now I see. The lights have come on, especially someone who, who perhaps has been blind from birth or blind from an early age, and Jesus does his thing, and all of a sudden, light comes in and shapes are oh, whoa, shapes are visible and they can see loved ones and they can that is that me that's all right um, the voice of god is are we good keep going okay um i can't really yeah there we go so there are these stories of Jesus um, bringing sight to people, and perhaps it's because so many of us struggle with sight. Now, some of you have struggled with sight all your life, right? I mean, from the moment you were in preschool and you had the, the thick glasses, some of us, for me, it was really not like that. I mean, I've had contacts, but I can, I can see and drive without them. You know, my vision, most of my adult life has been like 2040, so I can get away without glasses. But I noticed that my wife, Actually, my wife noticed several years ago, she would see me preaching, and then she would see this, and then she would see this, and so she bought me a new Bible with some larger print, and if you're not there yet, it ha there's this magic thing about 45, 48, it just happens, and some, like with my wife, it literally happened in like three months, and so often we struggle with sight, and I think this morning, this is what I want you to think about is perhaps we also struggle spiritually with our sight when we're reading through passages of the Bible. And I, I think that that could be a problem even this morning. That's something that we want to address as we finish this fantastic story of Ruth. It, we, we could have a sight problem. And so we're at the end of this story, which really is, in a lot of ways, it's like a sitcom, like most sitcoms. Ruth is, is like that. If you, if you watch sitcoms, there's usually like, you know, 20 to 24, 25 minutes of just disaster. And often it's the father. He's like this bumbling idiot. And then the story kind of wraps up with a nice bow. Someone comes in to rescue, often mom because she's wise, and comes in and like minute 27, minute 28, the story is tied up with a nice bow and everything's working right and the family's back in order. And that's a little bit how Ruth is. It's, it's really like a story that starts off with some trouble, very hard circumstances. 
And we're going to see today it really has a, a great ending. And I just want to remind you, all stories in the Bible don't end that way. This one does. We thank God for it. But all stories don't end that way. Jonah doesn't really end that way as one example. Judges, the book of Judges that's right before this doesn't really end that way. In fact, this is how the book of Judges ends talking about God's people. Everyone did what was right in his own mind. That's a terrible ending to a story. But Ruth actually, we can thank God, Ruth has a, a good ending. And I love that at the very beginning, so I listened to, to Marco's introductory sermon Marco talked about um, providence, that we're going to see through the story, and you have seen through the story what God's providence means, and this is how Pastor Marco defined it. It's God accomplishing his wise and sovereign will through ordinary people in time. And he said that it it would be finding comfort of God's grace in suffering and everyday life. And I would just say, to put a fine point on that point, You have to settle that. I pray that God maybe has used the book of Ruth to settle the providence of God in your life, to settle that it will will be the comfort of God's grace in suffering and in everyday life. If you do not settle this, life will not make sense. If you do not settle the providence of God when mom gets a cancer diagnosis at 47, that, that will not make sense. When a loved one dies of COVID, it, it will, life will not make sense. When you don't get the job that you so desperately need and want, life will not make sense unless you have settled this thing called the providence of God. Life will not, if you become what I call a, a circumstantial Christian, life won't make sense. It'll make sense when things are going well. It will not make sense when things are not going well. You have to settle that. It really reorients how we view life, how we view ourselves, how we view God. And that is the story of Ruth. It's a great story. And and we're going to see even today, there's the story. And then there's the story within the story. I hope you've been kind of tracking. It's going to really come to culmination here at the very end. And, and so Pastor Marco said from the beginning, we're in this time of the judges. And so this is after the time of Moses and Joshua, but before the time of the kings. And so there's this time in between when the people really don't follow God well, and God raises up deliverers, judges. They're not really leaders over the whole nation in the way the kings are, uh, but, but they are deliverers. They're primarily military deliverers for certain, certain battles. Think of Samson. Think of Gideon, Deborah. So that's the time frame that we're in. And then we're introduced to this story of Ruth. And I really think if there's a verse that captures what God's doing in the time of Judges, uh, it might be 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. We were preaching some in Judges this summer, and I, I landed on this verse, and it really tells us what God is doing. It says, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. There is this cycle that's going on through the book of Judges and even in Ruth and in this time. And, and this is the cycle. There's rebellion, there's God's discipline, and then there's God's rescue. 
And so it's clearly the cycle through the time of Judges, but it's really, if you read your Bible right, it's really the cycle that's through the Bible. It's really the cycle that is in history. It's really the cycle that's in your heart and my heart is, is God's people rebelling, God disciplining his people, and then God rescuing and bringing a deliverer for his people. That's what's going on. And, and particularly in the time of Judges, here's what God's doing. He's preparing his people for a king. I want you to think about that as we, as we finish this one. He's preparing his people for a king and really for an ultimate king and an ultimate kingdom. And so this morning, um, the theme clearly through the book has been redemption. And here's what I want you to think. I want you to think really two things as we get into the passage is that there is redemption both near and far. There's redemption near and far. And specifically, I, I, I pray that you would go home with two thoughts. One, that you can trust God for redemption in this life. See, some of you are perhaps too farsighted. You're very good at seeing the redemption that comes a long way off. But I want you to see that you can trust God for redemption in this life, and also that you can trust God for redemption for eternity. Some of you are perhaps too nearsighted. You see very well, and you, you, you look for God very well in the near. And you perhaps are forgetting that God provides redemption for eternity. So let's pray as we get ready to dig into the passage. Lord, I pray that you would decrease me and that you would increase Jesus, that you would be exalted, that you would be the hero of, of this sermon, that people would be drawn unto you. I pray that for all of us, that our hearts would be good soil, that we would lay down any opinion, any experience, all of those things are, however real they are, are inferior to the truth that we call upon this morning, the truth that's found in your word. Teach us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know we read the verses, but I'm going to read them kind of in three sections as we, as we go back through, starting with just verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. We start off with the redemption of Ruth. I know Pastor Marco, he really kind of led up to that last week. There was this great blessing uh, on, on Ruth, and, and we're kind of seeing what's getting ready to happen. Um, and it's, it's a redemption story. This whole book is a redemption story. I don't know about you, there, there are those of you who are like English literature um, professors, you know there's like, I think there's like seven major types of stories, right? And I think redemption is one of them. You think of the Lord of the Rings, you think of Les Mis, you think of Star Wars, you think of, of course, Shawshank Redemption, think of one of my favorite movies, Goodwill Hunting, and there's this moment when a flawed individual, an individual in crisis or a people in crisis is or are redeemed. And I love redemption stories, and that's what this is. And again, it starts, this passage starts with the redemption of Ruth. We, we saw a little bit of it last week, and, and I'm afraid that perhaps this could happen to you. That's why I went back this week and read the first part of Ruth. 
you, we could easily forget just how bad Naomi and Ruth had it. I mean, they were not in, good, in a good shape at the beginning of this story. And now in verse 13, we find out that Ruth is a wife, so she's married. We find out that there's consummation of that marriage. It's not just a marriage in name only, but there's intimacy and love. We find out that she becomes a mother. There's conception. We find out, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, because it's not evident clearly in this one verse, is that there's something really significant about this pregnancy that's going to have lasting implications. But for the moment, just for the person of Ruth, what a great moment. Look what has happened to Ruth. She was a widow. Now she's a wife. She was poor. Now she's provided for. She was childless. Now she's a mother. She was a foreigner. Now she's the center of like this community that seemingly adores her. She was a pagan Moabite. And now she is a worshiper of Yahweh. Do you you see all that God has done in the life of Ruth? This is a, a big deal. Think back to the beginning of, of chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where Naomi is pr- praying over both of her daughters-in-law after um, her husband has died and after her sons, their husbands have died. And she says to both of them, may the Lord deal kindly with you. The Lord grant that you may find rest. I mean, there's real trouble in chapter 1. There is a sense of hopelessness in chapter 1. And now we get to the end. The Lord has dealt kindly, has he not, with Ruth? The Lord has given her rest. If there was a person that had unrest in this time period, it would be a widow. I mean, husband and wife was more than just about some, ooh, some good feelings. Very often, women depended on having a husband. Or they were at the very margins, the very bottom of society with no one to care for them. That's what God has done for Ruth. He has dealt kindly with her. He has granted her rest. And so just in verse 13, I hope you don't miss this, Ruth has been redeemed in this life, in her life, by the providence of and the care and the love of God. God has done all of those things. By his grace, Ruth has been redeemed in her life. Look what God has done. And we move on, verses 14 through 17. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We, I think, 
understand because the very title of the book is Ruth. We're seeing all of this story of Ruth. We understand that the story ends in the redemption of Ruth. This is perhaps a little unexpected, right? Mothers-in-law for, and, and I think highly in an unfair way, have been kind of the brunt of, of bad jokes, right? And the, uh, of hatred perhaps through history. I was reminded of a story where a young girl comes home from church, from children's church. And so often she has all these questions, you know, for mom and dad, which I, lo- I used to love that time at that age. Parents, if you have children, uh, small children, just enjoy that time when they're asking, who made God? Right? And I, my, my daughter would ask, I had one particular daughter that would ask these questions. And I'm like, I'm going to have to get back to you. Like she would just ask these stumping questions. And so this particular daughter, so she's coming home from church, has her mind full of questions. And at the same time, her grandparents have been living with them for a couple of weeks. And so she goes to her mother full of questions. She's also been hearing like the terms of mother-in-law and father-in-law. And she says, mom, who was Eve's mother-in-law? And so again, this young mother, after two days of having her in-laws in her house, her tiny house, looks out the window longingly and says, oh honey, Eve didn't have a mother-in-law. She lived in paradise. <laughs> now that's unfair. That's unfair. And, and I can just say, I can say honestly, my mother-in-law was a treasure. I had such a good relationship with my mother-in-law. She, she died. She left us at an early age, I think in her early 50s. And my wife would say the same about my mother. She would say she, has the, she had the best uh, mother-in-law that a person could have. And, and here's what I love. This is not the main point of the story, but I love this little side part that Naomi and Ruth seem to have a great relationship. Naomi seems to be a great mother-in-law casting blessings on her daughters-in-law, looking out for their well-being once their husbands have passed. And it seems like Ruth is the same to her, her mother-in-law, right? When, when Orpah, and there's no, no shame that Orpah wants to go back with her people, but Ruth said, hey, you, you're my people. Your people, I, I feel like you're, I'm your daughter now. I'll go where you're gonna go. You're gonna be my people. Your people will be my people. I'm gonna worship your God like I am, this is not just a mother-in-law thing. Like, I feel like a daughter to you. I love that relationship that we've seen between Naomi and Ruth. But it's, I think there's this unexpected part in this passage where, at least I wasn't expecting before I read it the, the first time, that so much about the redemption of Naomi, of the mother-in-law, there's this extra story of redemption she becomes a grandmother. She, she, in essence, becomes a nanny. I mean, there's, there's, there's kind of um, inclination from the passage that she's more than just a grandmother that, that occasionally sees this child, right? She is a, she's providing a lot of care. And the community I love uh, gives, gives this son, this grandson, the name. They say, hey, you need to call this child Obed, which means servant, He's going to be a servant of Yahweh. And so last week, Pastor Marco read the blessing that, that people are giving towards Boaz and towards Ruth, and, and, and we see that kind of come to fruition. But listen now to the blessing that the community gives 
to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you, not just your daughter-in-law, has not left you without a redeemer. Know that this is the work of the Lord. You have had a daughter-in-law, you have a daughter-in-law, Ruth, that is better than seven sons. Seven in the Bible is kind of this number of completion. And the the women are saying, do you see what you have in Ruth? You have a daughter-in-law that's better than seven sons. We know that you lost two sons, but look at God's redemption toward you, Naomi. You have this grandson, and he's going to be your redeemer. If, if I said earlier, if there was a, um, you know, if there was an, a, a group of people that were at risk in this time, it would certainly be widows. But I would say maybe even more than a young widow like Ruth would be an older widow like Naomi. Really, probably having no prospect for marriage or little prospect for marriage, and maybe even more chance of not being cared for. And, and here's what God is saying. Here's what the community is acknowledging. The Lord is blessing you, Naomi, because this one, he's going to care for you. He's going to restore your life. As you be, begin to lose some of your ability to do things for yourself, this one is going to be coming stronger. He's going to be growing up. He is going to care for you in your old age. I mean, you're going to be okay. You thought at the beginning of the story, I've lost my husband. I've lost my two sons. It looks like I'm going to have a pretty rough into my life and I'll be hungry. I'm not sure where provision will come from. Now she's got a family. She has provision, she's got a community, and she has this grandson who's going to help care for her into her old age. I mean, think back what God has done. Look, look at her life at the beginning of the story, chapter 1. She said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has also brought calamity upon me? Think of then calamity. The Lord has testified against me. I was empty. I I left this place. I was full. I, I was empty in this foreign land. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. That's where Naomi's story started in this book that's not where she ends now the community is saying bless the lord and Naomi, for what he's done to you and for you you have everything that a that an older widow would long for and need see so ruth got redemption but here's what we also see naomi has been redeemed in this life by the providence and the care and the love of God, by his grace. Ruth found redemption in this life. Naomi found redemption in this life. By the grace of God. 
Then we get to the last few verses. Verses 18 through 22. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. I wonder if you're like me, maybe you're going through your read the Bible in a year. And you don't have to raise your hand if you do this, but man, you just get to like that chapter and it's all, and this person begat that person, this, and you're just like, you're just flipping pages. I get it. A bunch of people had a bunch of other people and kids, and there's a list of names, and they don't really matter. And we can get to a passage like this. I wonder even if, if you've been reading along with the church and you got to this part and you just kind of blew past the end. It's just a list of names, a lineage, a heritage, big deal, meant a lot to them. So what? This is perhaps the most important part of the redemption story. Because this now talks about the redemption for you and I. For you and I. Judges, again, as we've said, was was not a great time for the people of Israel. There's There's a couple of cool stories and battle stories and that type of thing. But as far as the people, if they were to look back, the nation of Israel, we weren't real good during this time. There's not a lot of history we'd like to tell about ourselves that's real positive. But but here's what is going on in this genealogy. There's a line that is being preserved. There was a promise made of God in Genesis chapter 3 where he tells the serpent after the fall, hey, there's going to be this battle that's going to go on through history. And you will, at a moment, your offspring will strike the heel of the offspring of the woman. But the offspring of the woman is going to strike your head. And so all through history, that, that, that's this thread that is running through the Bible, it's running through history. And, and in this genealogy, God is maintaining and preserving the line that that's going to happen by. That's what's happening. You could get in way into the weeds, and I want to mention a little bit about just a few names here. But if you step back and say, this is not just a list of names. That's what God is doing right here. And I do, I do want to talk about a couple of names. I, I love, now Tamar, her name is not mentioned, but her son Perez is. And so if you, if you, under, if you remember the story, Judah um, Judah, one of his sons uh, passes away and his son was married to a woman named Tamar. And so the the custom was she's appealing to him as a father-in-law. Hey, you need to give me another son to marry again for provision to carry on the line. He should do that. But as one of the sons that he promises to her when he gets of age, that son gets of age and he does not have that son marry Tamar. And so Tamar takes it upon herself she dresses up as a prostitute. Judah goes away. He, fi- he comes upon her. His wife has died. He has sexual relations with her. He doesn't recognize her. And if you remember the story later, she kind of catches him because the people in the town say, hey, your daughter-in-law is, is with son and, uh, from immorality. And so Judah takes this hard stance. Well, then let's burn her until she gives him some items and says, hey, this is the man that I had sex with, and Judah 
realizes that was me. And so she, she's pregnant, this woman, Tamar, with two sons. And one of them is this Perez that's mentioned here. So think of that. A child of illegitimacy with kind of a, a, some rough circumstances. There's also a man mentioned here, Salmon. He was married to a woman named Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. Even Ruth, right? Ruth is not part of the nation of Israel. She was from Moab. She worshiped the pagan gods. She was a, a despised foreigner. And so here's what we're seeing in this genealogy. We're seeing Gentiles. We're seeing people that didn't have the best reputations. And even though we kind of talked about the women, the men in the line didn't have much better reputations. What, so what is God saying in giving us this genealogy? Well, one thing he's certainly saying, I love a, a man named Ian Dugiud said, together these men and women make up a remarkable procession of the great unwashed. Why? Because you might be asking, and I'm asking, why would the Lord Jesus, who could have chosen to be descended from any line, choose to be descended from such a soiled line? With a child born from really kind of an incestuous relationship with a, a daughter-in-law and a father-in-law. A son born from Rahab the prostitute. Why this line? See, see, our redemption is not from this line of people with, with like stellar morals. It, it's kind of a, a line of people with rough backgrounds. Part of the message that you and I are supposed to receive is that we're, we're not saved by a bunch of perfect people. And there's also a bigger message, you're not saved by your own perfection. You and I are redeemed. I think the, one of the key messages from this genealogy is we are redeemed by the hand of God. God is the one working through this genealogy. It is his perfection, not Ruth's, not Rahab's, not Tamar's. God is using his power to continue this line that, that he mentioned back in Genesis 3, that, that now he's pointing to in this coming King David, God is the one whose power is on display. He's pointing, to, he's pointing the people now at the end of Ruth to a coming Savior King named David. But he's also pointing to a Savior King past David that will be in the line of David, but that will surpass Anything that David has done, of course, King Jesus. See, this genie, in this genealogy, you and I find out we, the church throughout history, you and I, have been redeemed for eternity by the power and the providence and the love of God, by the grace of God. God redeems Ruth, in her life, by his grace. God redeems Naomi in her life by his grace. And God redeems Naomi and Ruth and you and I for eternity by his grace.
Do you see this contrast? I, I love the contrast in this story. The book starts with death. It ends with new life, a grandson, a son. It starts with a journey. Oh, man, how are we going to get back? It ends with we're home. We have a home now. It starts with poverty. It ends with provision. It starts with famine. It ends with food. It starts with no men. It ends with a redeemer. It starts with no family. It ends with this family and this promised lineage of future family. It starts with despair and bitterness, and it ends with joy. This is God's grace on display in the book of Ruth. It is redemption by God's grace. And so I, I started by saying that perhaps we have, just as, as I needed to have some corrective and get a book with bigger print, or maybe you've gone to LASIK, or you have bifocals or whatever, we need correction. Perhaps as we finish this morning, you need correction a little bit in how you are viewing the story of Ruth, or really how you're viewing your relationship with God. If you are farsighted, that means you can see well far off. Perhaps you need to trust this morning that God has redemption in this life. It may not be a husband. He doesn't promise that if you're looking for a husband. It may not be that job you said, well, that's the job I want. God will definitely give it. He might not. But, but some of us, I'm afraid, can go so far. We're very farsighted. I know God will save me and, and things will be good in the end. But right now, life stinks, and I'm just going to put my head down and bear it, and I will be miserable. That's what God has allotted to me. There is no hope on this earth. And that's simply not true. God does care about your eternity, but he cares about your life right now. He cares about your food and your needs and your relationships right now. He took care of Ruth now. He took care of Naomi now. He might not give you the healing that you're asking for. He, he knows better. His ways are not our ways. He might not give you, again, exactly what you're asking, but you and I can be assured that God cares. We can be assured that he is aware. He is on the job. He's not far off. He's working his plan. He knows what's best for you, and he cares. He has great compassion for you, we're to not be anxious, but cast our cares upon him because he loves us. He is good, church, and he redeems in the present. He does. But perhaps some of you have the other vision problem. This morning, you are too nearsighted. You see very well in the here and now. In fact, I would argue your life is consumed with the here and now. Your pleasure, your comfort, all the things about here and now, and there is no sight towards eternity. See, this is a story of faithfulness, clearly to Naomi and Ruth, but really it's, it's a story of God's faithfulness to us. God does care about your here and now, but, but God cares about your life eternal. 
as he is addressing their needs, do you see in the story, he is making a plan to redeem his called, his special people for eternity. That's what he's doing by, by creating Obed and, and maintaining this line that will lead to David, that will lead to Jesus, that will lead to cross, that will lead to one day you and I being with God forever. God is saving, and he's pointing in this story, not just to David, but through David, past David. You and I, church, if you're a Christian this morning, this is what the Bible says, you are redeemed now. You're not just headed to redemption. The Bible says you are now currently seated with Christ. Now, you have been currently cleansed. You are currently redeemed. Currently free of shame and guilt and the threat of death. That's what he's done. That's what he's done, church. You and I can clearly Trust God for redemption in our life right now. He acts and he moves and he does stuff. But we can also, thankfully, trust God for redemption for eternity. You can bank on it, Christian. Christian's the only person that ought to be able to go to sleep with complete peace at night. I don't care if I take my last breath. I will wake up in the arms of Jesus. I have been redeemed. Let's pray. Father, there are perhaps two groups of people and there are perhaps some, some far-sighted people who they have trusted you for eternity and yet they're kind of just muddling through life. Life is a misery. There's very little joy. There's very little uh, thought that that. The eternal God really cares about them and their small problems. They don't routinely call out to you. They figure you're perhaps too busy and too high-minded to care about what's going on in their lives. Lord, would you remind them you do care about us. You care about our lives here and now. In the you care about our sicknesses. You care about our children. You care about our longing for children if, we, if we've not been able to have children yet. You care about loved ones we've lost. You care about our wayward children. You care about our food and our housing. You like to offer redemption now. You like to be the answer for our problems now, the one to whom we appeal for stuff going on in our lives right now. And Lord, perhaps there are some that are nearsighted. Their, their challenge is they don't think too often about eternity. They don't think too often about meeting the judge and creator of the universe face to face. Every person will have that meeting. They are so caught up, perhaps, in what is right in front of them. They're so nearsighted that they do not step back and gaze and know that eternity is approaching. And that you are setting up a kingdom and that your son Jesus is going to return as king and rule and that they need to be prepared for that moment. Father, we thank you for your redemption that is near and present. And we thank you for your redemption that is eternal. All by your grace. 
And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.